don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. Good morning to you. Whatever time it is where you are, I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report. It's September 19th, 2023. We're live streaming on Rumble, YouTube, and Locals. Tap that notification bell. Subscribe if you have not. For God's sakes, don't make me beg you. And if you'd like to join us for a post-game show. Oh, wait a minute. Do we have a post-game show today? Or there? Yes, we do have a post-game show today. They were doing a little back-end work over at Locals. We do have a post-game show, RubenReport.Locals. Com. All right, I have to address three important things that happened on yesterday's show before we even get into it today. Three major things that happened. First off, at the end of yesterday's show, I was talking about cancel culture and how one day they're going to come for all of us. All of us have done things we're not proud of. We had sex with someone. We did drugs. This or that. We hung out with some unruly people, whatever it might be. And what I addressed was that when I was in about third grade growing up, uh, my friend Chad had Skeletor, the He-Man character Skeletor, and I had Skeletor too, and you guys know Skeletor was the main guy going against He-Man. Skeletor had a staff. It was known as the Havoc staff. It was a little purple plastic staff. I lost mine, and I stole Chad's. I have been living with this for almost 40 years, okay? I have never said anything about it, but I know they were gonna come get me one day, so I addressed it on the show. I have not seen Chad, or talk to Chad, heard from Chad, anything in about 15 years. I mentioned it on the show yesterday. I was then looped in on a text to be another childhood friend with Chad. And Chad has accepted my apology. So Chad, I thank you for that. And the point of all of this, guys, is if you, if you have a mea culpa, if you say, I've done something bad, the world will forgive you. That's one thing I have to address. The next thing I have to address uh, slightly more serious is that during the show yesterday, at the end, I was giving Bill Maher credit because Bill Maher had decided to go against the writers' union and bring his show back. Uh, he was going to do it without a monologue. He was going to do it without uh, you know new rules and some of the stuff that the writers do. But he was going to bring it back mostly as a panel and an interview show, realizing that although the writers may have some just points, and he's one of the writers himself. Uh, that there are plenty of other people, the sound guys, the lighting guys, the makeup people, that nobody's working, nobody's making money, and he decided to bring the show back because he didn't want to harm everybody. So I was giving him credit for it during the show, and I think about two minutes after we ended the show, Bill Maher retracted that statement and put out a new one. Uh, my decision to return to work was made when it seemed nothing was happening and there was no end in sight to this strike. Now that both sides have agreed to go back to the negotiating table, I'm going to delay the return of, of real time for now and hope they can finally get it done. Anyway, we'll see. Maybe he knows something that it really is about. The pieces are about to be put together and they'll all come back. As I said yesterday, I don't think anyone's really siding with the writers. I don't think anyone misses The Tonight Show or The Late Show or The Late Tonight Show or The Tonight Late Show or any of the daytime shows or any of the nonsense. And once you remove the writers, you kind of see how talentless, you know, guys like Kimmel and Colbert and the rest of these characters are. Uh, okay, so those are two things. And now this one actually is seriously serious. Uh, you know, I mentioned that yesterday on the show that uh, this Russell Brand nonsense and that I was not going to address it again. So I am not going to address the, the accusations against him again because my gut feeling is that they're completely baseless. And, and even if they're not, this is just the machine doing what it always does when someone steps out of bounds. Uh, but something else very interesting happened this morning 
Uh, I saw this tweet by Viva Fry. Viva's been on the show many times. He wrote, Russell Brand demonetized on YouTube and the new rule has been implemented. You will now get demonetized on YouTube YouTube, if your off-platform behavior, quote, harms its ecosystem. I'm sure this economic censorship is going to only be used with extreme parsimony and will never be politically weaponized. And then he quotes, this is the exact quote in their TOS, their terms of service. If a creator's off-platform behavior harms our users, employees, or ecosystem, we take action to protect our community. So you must understand this. Russell Brand has a huge amount of followers, viewers, et cetera, on YouTube. Now, he's, he's a rumble guy, like I'm a rumble guy. That might have more to do with what this is really about, just taking out the competition. But the idea that they would demonetize you or potentially delete your channel or whatever other tricks they have because of something you did off-platform. Think about that. You watching this right now, you have a YouTube account, you might have an Instagram account, a Twitter account, whatever it might be. If they don't like what your behavior might be, you went to that bar with that person, you did that thing 25 years ago, they can either deplatform you or demonetize you, et cetera, et cetera. This is deeply dangerous. And I wanna mention one other thing about it. This idea of off-platform, when I saw that phrase, it clicked something for me. You may remember, for those of you that have been with me for, for years now, about six, seven years ago, when I was crowdfunding on Patreon, that's how we funded the show when I first went independent, a guy by the name of Carl Benjamin, better known as Sargon of Akkad, uh, was, he was a big YouTuber. He was sort of in the classical liberal space when I was kind of waking up about what the modern left was doing. Anyway, he was on Patreon as well. And Patreon booted him for something that he did not do on Patreon. And as many of you may remember, Jordan Peterson and I, we were on tour at that time. We both decided to leave Patreon because of that. The idea that you could just be booted from an online service for something that had nothing to do with what you were doing on that online service. I then created Locals because of that, and we ultimately merged with Rumble. The point of all of that is it's happening again right now, but fortunately there are alternatives like Rumble and Locals, but off-platform. Once they're saying that to the creators, they're saying it to you too, behave or we're gonna take away your Facebook. But speaking of behaving, uh, let's talk about the Senate today because this is where we're gonna kick off the show. Uh, the Senate, I mentioned to you yesterday, Chuck Schumer announced that the Senate is changing their rules related to the dress code where men basically have to be in a suit, you know, a jacket and tie, and women have to kind of be in business attire. It's been this way for decades. It leads to a certain amount of decorum. You might say it's too stuffy, it's theater, blah, blah, blah. But they are changing it and basically allowing anyone to wear whatever they want because of John Fetterman up in Pennsylvania who wants to basically dress like a Philadelphian crack addict. And I think this is a really bad move. It's not necessarily about that you have to dress exactly with the suit and the shirt and everything else, but we are removing all of our norms and standards from society. We're removing all of the things like be a little bit better, get a haircut that kind of works, make sure that you brush your teeth and everything else. And I think we can link this really to the, to the uh, complete collapse of sort of all of our norms in society. Are boys girls anymore? Is America fundamentally racist? And I will link all of that to how even our pundit class, which includes colleagues of mine, have been now captured by just whatever the thing of the day is. If there is something happening on the day and it's shiny and it's got a lot of energy and it's gonna get you clicks, 
a whole bunch of people are going to go in that direction. And usually that direction has nothing to do uh, with what is true, which perhaps is what brings you to this show. So we will talk about all of that. But first, let me tell you guys about Gravity Defier. You know, how much is it worth to not feel pain with every step you take? From walking the dog to running the kids from school to practice, it takes a toll. Well, you need to check out Gravity Defier shoes. Whether you're wearing them on the job or to get your daily step count up, these Gravity Defier shoes are revolutionary. Walking and running in normal shoes creates shock waves that course through your feet, knees, and hips, forcing the body to absorb as much as a thousand pounds of harmful impact with every step. Gravity Defier shoes are clinically shown to relieve knee pain. In a double-blind study by Olive View UCLA Medical Center published in the Journal of American Podiatric Medical Association, Participants experienced 85% less knee pain. It's the most powerful shock absorption system put into a shoe. So here's the deal. Try a, pay, try a pair for 60 days and experience the difference they can make in your life. Buy a pair today and save 15% with free returns and easy exchanges. You've got nothing to lose. Visit gravitydefier.com. Use code Ruben for a 15% discount on your first order. Test a pair risk-free and experience the difference in your life. Gravitydefier.com. Use code Ruben for 15% discount on your first order. Gravitydefier.com. Order today and now back to me. All right, so John Fetterman, the fact that this man is in the Senate is an embarrassment to all of us. No one in their right mind, and he's not in his right mind, but no one in their right mind thinks he's qualified. No one thinks he has the mental acumen. There's a lot going on there, we all know it. Poor Dr. Oz, whatever you thought the limitations of Dr. Oz was, whether you thought he was a native Pennsylvanian or not, or you thought he was just too much of a slick TV salesman or whatever, the poor guy lost to John freaking Fetterman, and now thanks to hoodie wearing John Fetterman, the standards at the Senate have been thrown out. Here's a, a tweet from Chad Pergam about what the Senate is doing. Fox confirms that the Senate will no longer enforce a dress code for senators. Senators can wear now whatever they want. However, others entering the chamber must comply with the dress code, coats and ties for men, business attire for women. Let's do the second part of that first. I mean, how insane is that? So the senators can wear whatever they want. A guy can wear a dress. A girl can wear a, a leather Catwoman costume from Batman 2. What's her name? Michelle Pfeiffer, everybody like that thing. That's just fine. But if you, as a citizen of the United States, show up to the Senate for a meeting or to see what's going on, you'd like to wander in and you know just say hi to people, you have to dress up appropriately. That in and of itself, putting aside whether these people should be dressed a certain way or not, like we are held, we the people will be held to a higher standard than the people who are supposed to be representing us in Washington, D.C. That's completely bananas. But again, this idea that we're just going to sort of break down all of the normalcy in society. Look, I, I'm not like an uppity, uh, like you, you have to dress a certain way. I have one rule. What's my one rule in the studio, Connor? Say it out loud, my one rule. No shorts. That's the Dave Rubin, Rubin Report studio rule. It does, I get it, we're in Florida, it's hot. Sometimes it's 110 and it's humid as hell. I don't wanna see anyone's white legs. That's the policy around here. But beyond that, I say, guys, you dress how you want here and everyone does relatively dress in a work manner. I, I'm wearing pants. You know what though, I will show you guys, I'll admit. Can I move around a little bit here? I'm not wearing shoes, I'm wearing sliders. I'm gonna get some real crap for that. I'm wearing socks with sliders today, but I am not a senator, okay? And I do think I clean up okay with this kind of thing. 
the idea that we will break down all of the norms is just another piece in breaking down everything that seems to be breaking down. Like you, you everyone knows this. When, when you take a shower, you clean up, you shave tight, you do your hair right, you put on a jacket, a shirt, you put on a, a gown, a nice dress, whatever it is, you feel better, right? You feel better. Jordan Peterson has talked a lot about this, right? You, you will actually, like you're presenting something to the world. One of the things that I see all the time now when I'm on planes is people dress dirty sweatshirts and, and flip flops and, and all this stuff. And it's like, man, if you look at what people used to wear when they got on a plane or when they went to the theater 30, 40 years ago versus now, it's like, do you think we're going in the right direction? Uh, Carol Roth, who I've had on the show, she's a, she's a fantastic author. Uh, she put this tweet up and I thought this was a really nice example of it of what's going on here. Uh, this is fans dressed for a baseball game in the 1950s and a senator dressed for work in 2023. I mean, look at those people in the stadium. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to wear a suit and a tie and all of that to go to a baseball game. Of course not. I have never worn a suit and a tie to go to a baseball game. Connor, you went to a Marlins game last week. Did you wear a suit and a tie? He did not, okay? Maybe a baseball cap and a t-shirt, that's okay. But you guys see the meltdown of everything. No, no one, nothing will ever be something to strive for. It will just be a constant depression of all of the norms that we have. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you might think this about her, you might think that about her. I thought she made a good point on this one. She said, the Senate no longer enforcing a dress code for senators to appease Fetterman is disgraceful. Dress code is one of society's standards that set etiquette and respect for our institutions. Stop lowering the bar. And it's, it's that, it's the stop lowering the bar. Can we aspire to be a little bit better than we are? You know, when I do this show every day and we talk about politics and politicians and lying, can we ever aspire to be a little bit better where we'll elect people who will dress properly, who won't lie, who will know basic math, who will know basic biology. Maybe we can't do that, right? And so we are, we will, we either are there already or we will enter idiocracy. I grant you, that is possible. Maybe we are on that path. Well, we're certainly on it, but maybe we don't have to be on that path and that's the point. Anyway, John Fetterman went on the televised mental institution known as MSNBC to talk to Muppet, Chris Hayes, about the, the new rules related to clothing. Marjorie Taylor Greene said that Senate no longer enforcing a dress code for senators is to appease Fetterman is disgraceful. Dress code is one of society's standards that set etiquette and respect for institutions. Stop lowering the bar. Uh, what, what do you say to that? Well, you know, her platform, you know, really, she runs on more and more dingling, you know, picks, you know, on uh, in the, the, the meetings uh, over in, in the Congress. So again, uh, I, I'm not really sure why she cares how I dress, uh, but you know, she really takes it a different I have no idea what that man just said. I have literally no idea what he said. He was asked about Marjorie Taylor Greene's feelings about the dress code related to him. Something about dingling pics, like there's something wrong with this man and we are all watching it. It's just like Joe Biden. It's just like Dianne Feinstein. It's just like Mitch McConnell. There's something wrong with all of these people. It's not just what they wear. We all just kind of let it go. Uh, here's a bit more from Mr. Fetterman. Senator How things Fetterman. have operated since that deal was a bipartisan deal was struck for certain top line spending numbers for all of the funding bills that have to be passed to 
make the budget, keep the government running. The Senate has basically been delivering those and passing them by big 91-7 bipartisan majorities. The House today looks like it's falling apart. You've already got 17 no votes in that House Republican caucus saying we're not passing anything. What, what do you think's happening here? Yeah, you know, like I, I truly, I was, I was very proud of my colleagues, you know, because they're really about governance. That's what it is. And on the other, the, the house, the, the, whatever they call themselves, Team America or whatever they call themselves, I just like, hey, I just like bring your vote, you know, otherwise, you know, they need to go hump a different leg. Need to go hump a different leg. Uh, obviously, what they're talking about here is this budget fight and a potential government shutdown. And no matter what happens with the government shutdown, and I suspect we'll be talking about it more later in the week into next week, the, the Republicans will be blamed no matter what. Frankly, I wouldn't mind if the government shut down and never came back, but that's sort of a different story here. The point is, this guy Fetterman, he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know who his opponents are. His dressing of of the hoodie now, and, and something about the mustache where he looks like an out of work porn star, like something about all of this, not, you know, they always say it's a porn star. Like this is not someone who would be a porn star. He looks like an out of work guy who wanted to be in porn, right? But like something about everything, this thing about these mediocre at best, and, and that's really, I'm being very generous, um, that these people have something to do with our day-to-day -day lives is just crazy. So look, while I agree, that Fetterman is not that bright and probably morally bankrupt and philosophically bankrupt, and like just not right in the head. Um, he does make a slight point, I think it had something to do with the humping in the leg thing, that the House Republicans aren't so great. The Senate Republicans aren't so great, right? We're not seeing like the best of the best. So now I wanna show you a clip. Uh, this is from, I believe this is from yesterday. Uh, this is uh, House Leader Kevin McCarthy uh, talking to Maria Bartiromo on Fox Business. Uh, about Trump and DeSantis. Try to make some sense out of what he's saying here. All, all of that, the policies that you mentioned of the Biden administration is one reason that Donald Trump is leading in the polls right now. What's your take on this, that as we see more indictments of Donald Trump, he seems to be gaining in terms of popularity with the public. Will it, he be the nominee? I think he will be the nominee. And the thing is, President Trump is stronger today than he was in 2016 or 2020. And there's a reason why. They saw the policies of what he was able to do with America, putting America first, making our economy stronger. We didn't have inflation. We, we didn't have these battles around the world. We didn't look weak around the world. Well, it looks like Ron DeSantis is now trying to work with your colleagues who are pushing for a shutdown. Yeah, but I don't think that would work anywhere. A shutdown would only give strength to the Democrats. It would give the power to Biden. It wouldn't pay our troops. It wouldn't pay our border agents. More people would be coming across. I actually want to achieve something. And this is where President Trump is so smart that he was successful in this. You know, President Trump is beating Biden right now in the polls. Yeah, we have the poll. Let's show yeah. it. He's stronger than he has ever been in this process. And look, I... I served with Ron DeSantis. He's not at the same level as President Trump by any shape or form. He would not have gotten elected without President Trump's endorsement. And so I believe our best step forward, pass our appropriation bills so we're stronger. Take the wokeism out, secure our border to make America strong. Oh, there's, there's a lot there. Okay, so first off, I, I agree with the good stuff that McCarthy said about the Trump presidency, which is why I voted for Trump the second time around, right? And I was very vocal in my support uh, about Trump. What's odd, there's a couple odd things. First off, Donald Trump is still, again, whether you're MAGA base, whether you voted for Trump, like Trump, you like to say this, doesn't matter. Donald Trump is still saying the election was stolen from him. 
right? It seems to me that it would be a problem in a functioning society if the leader of the house was openly backing a guy who says that the last election was stolen. Like he's basically saying, oh, the whole thing's a sham. And, the, and this guy's going, yeah, yeah, the whole thing's a sham. I'm going to back him. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit odd there. And that's not to take away, again, from the good things that Trump has done. Uh, but here's DeSantis responding to, well, really, he's responding to McCarthy, but going after Trump on this as well. What is your take on the fact that Speaker McCarthy now, who was leadership back then, doesn't think that you're a fit belief, that you're not your time? <laughs> well, look, I would say, I mean, I think that if you look at what's happened with D.C. Republicans, uh, they worked uh, very closely. You know, look, Donald Trump, he supported Kevin McCarthy very strongly for Speaker. I don't think he would have won the Speaker vote. Donald Trump was instrumental in him earning that Speaker's gavel, and they worked hand in glove, really, throughout his whole presidency. They were on the same team on every major spending bill that came down the, the pike, and they ended up together adding $7.8 trillion to our national debt. Never in a four-year period has that much been added than what they did together. And so he said that we're different. We are different because in Florida, we run budget surpluses. We've paid down almost 25% of our state's debt just since I've been governor. All the debt, all the way up for all of Florida's history, we've knocked off almost 25% of it. So it's a much different approach uh, to where we're doing it right. We have the number one rated economy in the country. We've cut taxes, we've expanded school choice, and we've delivered in a way that has uh, made the state sustainable. Uh, I am not somebody uh, who the D.C. establishment wants to see up there. There's no question about it. I think that last line is the key part. It's like McCarthy, in a way, doesn't want a guy like Ron DeSantis who's actually going to drain the swamp and change things. Now, I, I happen to like Kevin McCarthy. You know I've interviewed him many times, including uh, in that very room that he was just sitting in uh, with Maria Bartiromo. Uh, so it's not a shot at him personally, but there's also a weird dynamic here because Trump backed McCarthy for the speakership as DeSantis referenced. The base hates McCarthy. They think he's like McConnell and everything else and, and Lindsey Graham, like they think he's sort of the ultimate swamp creature. So you've got Trump backing the ultimate swamp creature while the base hates the swamp. Like there's just all these strange dynamics. But what, what really this is about is that to me, DeSantis is the guy, he's being backed by the people, say Thomas Massey, Chip Roy, he's being backed by the people who actually want government to do less, who want you to be taxed less and have more freedom and it to be slim and trim. Part of the issue with the swamp is it always is expanding and it doesn't seem to me that Trump or McCarthy or Trump and McCarthy would actually stop that thing from expanding. So DeSantis went on to say exactly what he would do when he arrives in the White House. We in Florida have a right to expect uh, that they get some stuff done for us like they said they would when they campaigned because Florida was instrumental in them even having the majority to begin with. This was supposed to be a big red wave in 2022. You had probably the most favorable conditions that Republicans have had in a midterm election since 1946. People were expecting a massive tsunami because inflation was terrible, the Biden's unpopular, all the problems that we've seen. Nobody's happy with the direction of the country. And that's tailor-made for the opposition party to be able to sweep into Washington, D.C. Instead, the only way, the reason they even got the majority 
is because the governor candidate in New York overperformed and because we delivered a red tsunami in Florida that gave them an extra four seats. That's the story of the midterm. If you take that out, the Democrats would have held on to the House of Representatives. So Florida did its part. We showed how you can win, uh, and we want to see some results um, as a result of that. Uh, but I'm not somebody uh, who's ever going to be the favored, uh, favorite uh, of the D.C. establishment. You know what? I wear that as a badge of honor. You know, I have to say, it's easy to support DeSantis because... Tell me, in the two clips that we've shown you today, any of the lies there. He's telling you, this is who I am, this is who I'm gonna be. Uh, I'm going to drain the swamp, look what I did here. The red wave, the only reason that the Republicans even got the House was because of what we did here in Florida, right? It wasn't because of anything else, okay? Most of the, the Trump-backed people, or not most, but a good portion of the major Trump-backed people uh, actually lost. And now I just wanna juxtapose what McCarthy said uh, in the earlier clip versus what he said to me, literally, I think it's in that exact same room. Uh, this is back in March. And when now he's saying that, you know, sort of Trump and the swamp and everything else, listen, listen to what he was telling me about what he thinks a leader should sort of be look like, uh, what a leader should look like back in March. What do we want to achieve? Okay, you take everybody out of running, what do you want to achieve? You want to stop the bad policies. So you want somebody else in the White House, right? So you've got to understand, too, what's the debate going to be about? All the things that Biden has done that somebody else could do better. I think that resonates more with the public. It gets more people to vote. It's about addition, not subtraction, okay? And so it's tough when you get in a competition, but members should really see that whoever runs. And lots of times, whoever the front runner is today is not the nominee. And whatever we think the issue is today is probably not going to be the issue in another November from now. Um, but I think the democratic policies will always be the issue, right? And I just don't think the country wants another four years of Joe Biden. I just don't believe we can sustain that. And don't do damage to one another that allows him to get in, because they're going to give you a lot of bait. Don't take it. Note he did not say Trump nor DeSantis in that <laughs> entire thing. That was very slick. So the reason I wanted to show you that clip was because he's being very specific there. Who can deliver on the issues? Who can deliver on the policies? Don't take the bait and look, we can all get, we can all get lost and he said this and he said this and blah, blah, what's happening on Twitter and all that and maybe I get lost in it too. Uh, but if you really care about the issues and the policies, then who do you think the best candidate is? I, I think there's a clear answer there. It maybe isn't the guy that's winning in the polls right now, but I think there's a clear answer to the very thesis that he put out there. And everyone starts becoming captured by things. So I think probably McCarthy, in some, to some extent, is a little captured by the Trump base right now. He sees the writing on the wall. So by conventional thought, Trump will be the nominee and he wants to get in with that. Like that's just sort of how politics work. There are pundits who do jobs similar to mine that don't want to upset the base because it's gonna get you more clicks and likes and all of that stuff. Like everyone is susceptible to that. And again, as I addressed yesterday, I'm not saying I'm not complete, I'm, I'm completely impervious to that. I try to catch my blind spots and all of that. Uh, but if you really care about the issues and the policies, then there is a clear answer here. And uh, now I wanna throw back to uh, Trump's interview with Megyn Kelly a couple of days ago, because this was a rare moment where I think some people started waking up to some of the confusion around Trump. So here is Trump on COVID and Fauci. I wasn't 
I was not a big fan of Fauci. If you look at Ron DeSanctimonious, he was, this guy said the greatest things. I can give you articles that, well, Fauci's great. He's wonderful. We love him. We don't do anything without Fauci. This went on for months. But he didn't listen to Fauci. Uh, he did 100%. Look. He shut down Florida I will for a give month. you, he shut down Florida. For a month. Oh, he shut it down for a lot of long. He shut down the beaches. He shut down the roads. He shut down a hospital. He was shutting down everything. He also had long lines of people getting the jab, as he called it. Let's all go get the jab. The guy tried to change history in Florida. Now, eventually Florida was open, but... The one that I love, the jab, as he called it. Like, no, you called it the jab. You literally, Donald Trump, gave Fauci an award on the way out. Everyone knows it. You literally, like a month before you went out, when DeSantis had fully opened Florida, were still encouraging him to have social distancing and the rest of it. And I get that we all didn't know what was going on and all of that stuff. But the point is, again, I'm, I'm listening to you, McCarthy, on this one. You care about issues and policies. Who was more right? And it's fairly obvious that DeSantis was. Uh, here is DeSantis. Uh, we showed you this yesterday as well, but I think it'll get us to every to the next step here. Uh, this is DeSantis responding to Trump on not even knowing whether he gave, uh, who gave that award to Fauci in the first place. What was that? Was that the immaculate commendation that just happened to happen? It said Donald Trump awards Fauci this commendation. So I thought it was really pathetic to, to sit there and listen to that drivel. Um, it is it is totally false. And you know what? People in your business, and I know you've you've spoken out. There's a people in your business who have their own shows. They know all that's false too. Uh, we'll see how many of them are willing to step up to the plate and call a spade a spade. Okay. So my question for you, person watching this right now, who truly was better on COVID? Was it Trump or DeSantis? Who realized that things needed to change and then actually changed those things? Who's acknowledged that they made mistakes and then went forward in a new path? Okay, think about it. You, you just, for your own self, who, who actually did that? Uh, but it's not just uh, COVID that there's a divergence on. Uh, the other big thing that now there seems to be some fighting about amongst uh, Republicans or conservatives or whatever you want to call all of us is uh, whether a man can be a woman. And Megyn Kelly asked Donald Trump the easiest question imaginable and watch the stammering. Can a man become a woman? Um, <laughs> in my opinion, you have a man, you have a woman. I, 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 think, I think part of it is birth. Can the man give birth? No, no, although they'll come up with some. Uh, ooh, uh, uh, part of it is birth. Can a get man give birth? There, there are many, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of women who cannot give birth. They are still women. But why is he afraid to step on anyone's toes? Is he already trying to pander to whatever Democrat might suddenly flip to Trump in a, in a, in a general election? Like, is, what is the reason? I saw some people, when I put that clip on my Twitter, people were like, he didn't want to offend Caitlyn Jenner. And it's like, uh, but I don't know that Caitlyn Jenner denies that Caitlyn, Bruce Jenner, is still a man. He has transitioned and, and lives life as a woman, and so be it. That, that's just fine. You should live your life as you see fit. But that doesn't deny biology. And now I want to contrast that to Ron DeSantis asking that, uh, answering that exact same question. Here he is with Benny Johnson. Asking about the greater issue of transgenderism, Dylan Mulvaney, of course, is what kicked all of this off. What do you think about men taking the role of women and taking really women's, 
women's places in advertising, in sports, playing against them. And this seems like an existential threat to women uh, well, and total as fathers I mean, of daughters. A swimmer that competes on the men's team for three years at Penn and then switches to the women's team and then wins the 500-yard freestyle national championship for women when you're a mediocre male swimmer and now you win the women's. And so you had a second-place finisher. She was actually from Sarasota. She should have been the national champion. I did a proclamation from our office saying she was the best woman swimmer yes. in 500-yard because she was. And so some of this is, yes, it's taking away opportunities in athletics and some other stuff, and that's really, really important. But I think there's also just the issue of, are we gonna be a society based on truth? Or are we gonna be a society based on deceit? And if you take a man and they dress up as a woman and you tell me I have to accept that they're a woman, then you're asking me to be complicit in a lie. And I just refuse to do that. You got it. Again, which one is true, which one is false? Which one is pandering and which one is honest. You know, Brock made a great point as we were talking about that. McCarthy, in the earlier clip that I showed you there, uh, McCarthy was talking about how Trump is stronger now than he was in 2016 or 2020. Except imagine Trump in 2016 if he was sitting down with Maria Bartiromo or any or Megyn Kelly or anyone else, and they said, is there a difference between a man and a woman? Can a man become a woman? He would have said, hell no. That You know, like, it would have been immediate and obvious. It would have gone viral. It would have been refreshing because it would have been against the, the cultural narrative. And now he stammers and stumbles through it. So is he sharper and stronger than he was in 2015, 16, 20? You have to make that decision. But something interesting, and this is really where I wanted to get into the meat of the show, is I, I am sensing something turning. It is not easy for someone that does something like what I do for a living to upset a portion of your audience. And that's what I keep talking about with audience capture, right? You start getting an audience because you say certain things and then you might go, oh, maybe I was wrong about that or the person that I backed actually isn't who I thought they were or whatever's going on. And you start saying something different and your own audience can turn on you and that can hurt you financially. It can hurt you career-wise for a series of reasons. It can be that you're not gonna get on this TV channel anymore, but something does seem to be happening in the, again, whatever you wanna call it, like the conservative or right space online where pundits are finally getting a little bit braver to call out this nonsense. So Megyn Kelly went on, who again, Megyn Kelly did a bang up spectacular job in that interview with Donald Trump. We were supposed to have Megyn on next week. We actually pushed it to the week after. So I'll talk to her all about her strategy around that, how you deal with that. It's not easy uh, just sitting across from the former president of the United States and doing all that stuff. We'll talk about all that. But anyway, Megyn Kelly yesterday went on Glenn Beck's radio show and Glenn asked her about Trump's answer related to whether men can become women. What was your takeaway? Because he never really answered it, but he did shake his head no towards the beginning. What's your takeaway from that? Well, I thought it was weak sauce. He, I really wish he, he did better on that. I like Ron DeSantis's answer, I'm going to be honest, which is no. No. Right. No. Right. <laughs> no. Obviously no. And it's not determined based on who can give birth. It's, <laughs> it's determined by God, and it's pretty obvious just as soon as you come out of the womb. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it continues to be, notwithstanding this weird agenda by some activists in this crazy trans agenda-pushing cult. Um, so Trump clearly knows that. I don't know if he's got, if he's trying to like appease some group of trans voters that he thinks is gonna make the difference with him. 
even when I had Don Jr. on my show, he was kind of dancing around this issue. I, I think that they think they're somehow going to do better with Democrats if they don't hit this straight on, even though, I mean, 98% of the Republican Party is united on this issue. This is not, it is not a winner for any Republican to hedge on this. Uh, just ask Asa Hutchinson. You know, maybe Megan is right. Maybe what Trump is kind of trying to do is he's saying, ah, I've got the primary wrapped up, which by the way, he does not. And the first votes are not cast in Iowa until January. But maybe in his mind, he's like, so I'll start the pandering now. Tr Donald Trump, he was sitting right in front of me. I would say it. I would say, Don, Mr. President, you know the difference between a man and a woman. And you know that a man cannot become a woman. But maybe in his mind, he's playing sort of a cynical game. He's saying, ah, I've already wrapped this thing up, so let me start the pandering process, right? So I have to move now to the center, which by the way, all candidates on both sides do this. You run a certain way in a primary because you're trying to get as many of your people going, and then you need that crossover group. But in this case, this trans thing is so out of control that if Trump's calculation here is somehow I will not cleanly and clearly state whether a man can become a woman or not so that maybe I can get some Democrats to vote for me. It's like, do you want to support that? You have to think about that. But Megan and Glenn, who by the way, uh, I, I can't swear that, that Megan voted for Trump. Do, do we know that for sure? She's, she certainly has been very friendly to Trump's ideas in the last couple of years. Glenn absolutely voted for Trump last time. I voted for Trump last time. Uh, but Megan and Glenn are talking about this and it's good because we need the full pundit class to at least assess things as honestly as possible. So I was always, I was uh, also glad to see this clip. This is from Matt Walsh at the Daily Wire, who's I think certainly been a big Trump supporter, uh, at least on the cultural issues. Uh, and he took it to Trump on that uh, trans answer. Obviously, it goes without saying that there's no reason to hesitate on the can a man become a woman question. And there shouldn't be any answer other than no. Okay, if you're saying anything other than no, anything, the first words out of your mouth after you hear can a man become a woman, no. Then you can, you can elaborate on how crazy that idea is. First word should be no. Anything but an immediate no is a wrong answer and also an embarrassment. And if, if, if that doesn't, if you don't see why that is, then just imagine any other basic scientific question getting that kind of answer. So what if, you know, just to show you how ridiculous this is, imagine if Megyn Kelly had for some reason asked, um, do you believe in gravity? Does gravity exist? And then Trump had said, um... <laughs> I, well, listen, in my opinion, uh, you know, there are some who say that human beings can fly, uh, but uh, I think probably not. What? What kind of answer is that? Why? <laughs> in my opinion. But first of all, people are focusing on the um part of it. In my opinion, you don't need to qualify something like this by saying in my, it's not your opinion. Okay. Just like it's, it's not when I say gravity exists, that's not my opinion. So in my opinion, gravity exists. In my opinion, uh, the sun is bigger than the earth. It's not my opinion. That's just a fact. It's not an opinion at all. So that was a weak and convoluted answer where clear and concise is needed. When you, as the Republican frontrunner, give an answer that makes it sound like a complicated question, you are, that is just you Hand, that, 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 that's you surrendering to the left on that issue. You know what it is? You know what it is? It's a substitution of values, right? 
When you go, um, in my opinion, what he's doing there in his brain is he's trying to work out something because in Trump's mind there, he's extrapolating a gajillion things. She asked me a very obvious question. I know the answer to the obvious question. It's the answer that humanity has known throughout its history, the millennia. But he's then doing this game. Instead of doing what is true, what are connected to his values and truth, he's doing a weird political game. And that is not what Trump would have done in 2016. So I absolutely disagree that Trump is stronger now. Now, that, the polls may not reflect that, but the man and the ideas and the thing that's driving the movement, it just is not as strong. And I'll give you another perfect example of this. Uh, the other thing that has come up in the last couple of days uh, is Trump criticizing DeSantis over the heartbeat bill. Uh, now, there are a couple red states that now have a six-week abortion bill. You guys know my feelings on this already. We had 15 weeks here in Florida. I was comfortable with that. There is no, you know, Trump keeps saying, I will, when I'm in office again, I'm going to make everybody happy on abortion. It's literally the stupidest thing you could say. It sounds like a third grader who's running for class president. When I'm in, I'll make everybody happy. Every, everybody will have cupcakes. It's like, you're never going to make the true pro-life and the true, pro, uh, the true pro-choice people happy. You have to, in a pluralistic society, figure out some things on the margins to agree on. It's also why states' rights are important, so that if you live in a more red state, it can have more pro-life laws, and if you live in a blue state, you can have your 12-month abortion situation. All of those things, which they'll have soon enough. Yes, three months after birth, they'll still be doing it. But Trump, he just, he's muddled on this, and the line that he said that really got everybody going, he wasn't just criticizing DeSantis for six weeks. And again, you might think six weeks is too much. You might think six weeks is too far. But Trump called the heartbeat bills terrible. He used the word terrible there, terrible. And as the guy that is supposedly the most pro-life president ever and gets credit for bringing in a court that then did overturn Roe v. Wade, which was not a constitutional right abortion, it was a state's right issue. He gets credit for that. The idea that he would say that a heartbeat bill is terrible, well, a lot of people are hitting him on that. Here's another guy from the Daily Wire. Here's Ben Shapiro. Donald Trump did a mainstream media interview over the weekend. Uh, it didn't go amazing for him. His, his recent interviews have not been going particularly well. This one was with uh, Kristen Welker. The most newsworthy thing that he said in this interview was he made a comment suggesting that heartbeat bills, like to protect the lives of the unborn in states, are terrible, which is not only not pro-life, it's an awful thing to say. It's one thing to say that tactically speaking, as president of the United States, I'm going to try to reach as much consensus as possible and gradually move the line back on abortion to accustom the American people to protecting life. Because if we move too far too fast, then the snapback is going to be dramatic, as we saw in Kansas. That's a, that's a pragmatic question, and it's a case you can make. That's not what Trump says. What Trump actually says about abortion in this interview is morally egregious. He says that heartbeat bills to, you know, protect babies in the womb past week five, week six, those are terrible. That's the thing he says. A terrible thing and a terrible mistake. In the state, he's not even talking federally. In the state, hey, that that is not a pro-life position by any stretch of the imagination. All right, look, everything Ben said there was right. I disagree with Ben on what public policy should be related to abortion. And you can watch old videos of ours from probably now seven years ago debating abortion. I've shifted a little bit in that I, I actually think even 15 weeks is probably a bit far. You could probably push it closer to 12 weeks, but I absolutely believe in exceptions. And okay, we can, again, as I always say, we can always talk about all of those things, but we will never make everybody happy. Uh, but Ben is, is completely right there on the equivocation that Trump is doing, that somehow this is then terrible. 
It doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. So all, Trump's position that is, so all we can really do in the midst of all of this, it's all gonna get weirder and crazier as you know this election year rolls out. We're still, we're still 12 months, no, we're still 14 months basically away from the general, general election. God help us all. So all we can do in the midst of all of that is, is tell the truth to the best of our ability and let the chips fall where they may. If you're Megyn Kelly, you can ask the best questions possible when you sit down with Donald Trump. If you're Glenn Beck, you can then ask Megyn Kelly what her feelings were about that answer. If you're Ben Shapiro, you can tell people what you think about these things. If you're Dave Rubin, if you're Matt Walsh, we can all do that and we can, and then you can do that. I don't mean to make this about the pundit class. We're no more important than you, but you can do that in, in the dinners that you have with friends and family and, and whatever, when you go in a, play in a basketball league or you're in a canasta game or whatever it is you do, a knitting tournament, you, when you talk about people, when you talk about the issues with people, you can really talk about them honestly if you know what you believe and why you believe it. That is the challenge. Of course, there's another challenge coming because uh, with AI and algorithms, uh, the truth may get muddled no matter what. I thought this would be a fitting way to end today's show. Uh, Elon Musk was in, they must've done, they did this at the Tesla factory, am I right? I think this is, do we know that for sure? Yeah. Yeah, so Elon Musk was at the Tesla factory in Austin, Texas uh, with Benjamin Netanyahu and they gave a press conference after and they talked about a whole bunch of stuff related to AI and algorithms and just all of the stuff. Uh, and Elon had a good line on uh, truth and how we see truth from a historical perspective. You know, the, like there's an old saying like, uh, history is written by the, by the victors. It's like, well, yes, but not if your enemies are still alive and have a lot of time on their hands to edit Wikipedia. <laughs> history, is history is written by the people who can harness the most editors. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, whoever, the loser has just got a lot of time on their hands. And, uh, you know, it's just, what do they do? Edit Wikipedia. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> There's something there, and he is right, literally. So the, the, the general concept, right, history is written by the winners. Why do the good guys always seem to win? It's because they're the survivors and then can write the history. We all like to think that we have like an honest assessment of history, and I think from an American perspective, we have a pretty good one, right? We have a pretty good, honest assessment of what our history has been. And also that it helps also that our history in America is only 250 some odd years old, almost 250. Um, so history is written, but, but how this changes then is what's happening in our modern world. With deep fakes, with AI, with Wikipedia constantly being edited, and then someone goes, oh, I like Dave Rubin, I'm gonna check his Wikipedia page, and you don't know what nonsense they put on there. Trust me, there's nonsense on there. Like, it's just, it's the editors, as Netanyahu says, history will be who can ever mind the most editors. You get editors, you get activists, all of these things, and one day we will never know what's true. So we have a, we have a truth war on two fronts. We have the truth, and then two fronts coming after it. We have the people who will lie constantly, for political reasons, to, to attain power, whatever it might be. And then we also have the machines and the algorithms who will feed those lies and all of those things. It's that versus the truth. Uh, guys, we've got a little bonus for you today because uh, they are doing some back-end stuff at Locals right now, which I mentioned up top, which is why I thought we didn't have a post-game show. But in fact, we do have a post-game show. And for this week only, the post-game show is gonna be open to everybody as they do some tweaks inside. So it's not just for supporters. Supporters are the only ones who can comment, correct? 
but it's open. I believe supporters are the only ones who will be able to comment and ask me questions on the fly, but every single one of you watching this, whether you're watching on Rumble, YouTube, or wherever in God's name this thing has been hijacked, uh, you can join us right now at rubenreport.locals.com for the post-game show. Uh, and uh, we are switching our uh, Thursday, fr no, yeah, we are switching our Thursday, Friday situation. Uh, on Thursday, we are doing our roundtable this week. We've got Dr. Drew and Jeffrey Tucker coming back for that, and then our Q&A will be on Friday. We leave you, if you can, if you don't puke while watching this, <laughs> this, speaking of AI, if you don't puke watching Trans Biden here, I'll be impressed, and we'll see everybody else at rubinreport.locals.com in just a minute. Senator Vance recently asked the U.S. Director of National Intelligence, along with the Secretaries of State and Defense, if I was working in some capacity for the American government. Simply put, I'm an American serving as a Ukrainian infantry soldier and combat medic who was brought from the Zero Line and assigned to the TDF's media team in the dual role of spokesperson and Russian disinformation analyst. The remaining speculation surrounding me is disappointing. While in Ukraine, we are fighting for global liberty and the ideology of victory. Too many in Moscow and across the world are still caught up in focusing on the tire trope of gender chaos. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.